This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to the first go-to grandma show. My name is Kathy Buckworth. I'm the author of six parenting books, and I work in television and radio, but most importantly, I'm a grandma to two beautiful grandsons. Oh, I also have four regular children, whom I should also mention, especially my oldest, Victoria, as she and her husband, Brayden, are the ones who provided me with my two grandchildren, Owen and Cam. You're going to hear a little bit about them every week on this show. I mean, I'm a grandma. That's what we do, right? But you're also going to hear about all kinds of other things, advice from other grandparents, as well as guest experts on everything from food to technology, travel and finance, the arts and health and fitness, pretty much everything grandparents today do. Who remembers Granny from the Beverly Hillbillies? I need you to think about her and then get that image right out of your head. She, to me, exemplifies the name Granny, which is why I didn't want to be called that when I found out I was going to be a grandma. I also didn't want to go the way of Goldie Hawn and become a glamma. I'm proud of my grandma's status. And who can forget the cartoon Granny that owned Tweety Bird, whom she was constantly trying to keep from the hungry jaws of her cat, Sylvester? These grandmas were similarly portrayed, one a real person, one cartoon, and they represented what a grandma should look like, according to the show's creators, and obviously to their viewing audiences. And honestly, in the past, a lot of grandmas did look like them. Gray hair pulled back in a tight high bun, granny glasses, a buttoned up to the neck frilly brows, and a fulsome skirt, ensuring every inch of skin was covered, except for her hands and her head. This trope of a grandma carried on through the pop culture of the 1970s, 1980s, and even the 1990s. Let's look at some of them. Esther Walton from the wholesome show The Waltons. Good, kind, always darning something and making up family meals and slapping the grandchildren across the back of the head when they said bad words like gosh or darn. Endora from Bewitched was a grandma I could get behind. Not only was she a witch, she dressed in fabulous flowing silk gowns. She wore makeup. Oh boy, did she wear makeup. Bright blue eyeshadow, bright orange lips. She had a hairdo. She smoked. And not just when she appeared in a poof of it. She was a bit of a bad grandma, enticing her granddaughter Tabitha to perform magic with her against her dim-witted son-in-law, Darren. Sophia Petrillo on The Golden Girls was the mother of one of the girls, but also acted as a grandma to their infrequently seen children. She drank, she swore, she swatted people. She wore Coke bottle glasses and a standard pastel-colored cardigan buttoned up at the top. Marie Barone on the show Everyone Loves Raymond was the classic doting, interfering grandma, although she had graduated from skirts to pants and blouses that weren't buttoned up to her neck. She didn't even have a bun. Were we making progress? What most of these television grandmas had in common was their domineering natures, punctuated by their complete lack of sexuality or femininity. The role of grandparent is relatively new compared to the age of humankind, as it's just in the past 200 years that enough people lived long enough to actually be around when their kids had kids. When the average age of a woman giving birth started rising, fortunately, so did the average lifespan, so that grandparents had the chance to be around and hopefully healthily be around to enjoy their grandkids. When I had my first child at age 28 in 1991, that was a fairly normal age to have a child, although I felt a bit like a younger mom. When I had my fourth child at 39 in 2002, I felt like an old mom. My mom had had me when she was 26, and I was her second born. 
My daughter had her first at the same age I was when I had her, so I felt like I became a grandmother at the relatively young age of 56. Was 56 the new 36? Hardly. But it is today at least 30 years away from the expected age of death, 30 years of grandparenting ahead of me. I could easily be a great-grandmother as my mother is today. I'm what might be called a geriatric Gen Xer, or maybe a junior boomer, depending on your definition. Whatever we call ourselves, we are making up the bulk of new grandparents as our millennial and some Gen Z kids start to become parents themselves. And oh, baby, have things changed since we had kids? Just about as much as things changed between the time that my parents had me. For instance, I was appalled that my mother put my sister outside on a balcony in her pram for two hours a day because Dr. Spock told her to. My daughter is appalled that I praise my grandson when he does a good job eating his dinner. But more on that later. Each show, I'm going to try to bring you some information you can use as you go through your grandparent journey. For this first show, I wanted to start things off on a fun and factual note. Starting as I mean to go on, as my grandma used to say. She also used to say, don't take a wheelbarrow out looking for trouble, so I'm not sure I'm going to go by all of her sayings. My very first guest is Mary Kay Morrison, whom I met at an Irma Bombeck conference years ago. She has literally written the book on fun and play for grandparents, and we'll chat with her about some great strategies to introduce and keep play in your relationship with your grandkids. My second guest on today's show is Marilyn Smith, who is Canada's only professional home economist and Second City alumnus. She is going to tell us all about why fiber is so important to us, particularly as we age, and she's also going to share a story from her grandmother and a lesson that she goes back to every single day. Sounds like fun? We'll get started right after the break. Mary Kay Morrison is an author, international speaker, and an educator who is taught at virtually every level of the educational spectrum. She provides keynote presentations and programs on the neuroscience of humor. Mary Kay is past president of AATH, the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor, and is a founder and director of the AATH Humor Academy. Her book, Using Humor to Maximize Living, is a notable college textbook. Her recent book, Legacy of Laughter, a grandparent guide and playbook, was written with the contributions of her 12 brilliant grandchildren. Welcome, Mary Kay. First of all, 12 grandchildren. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) It is the best. It is the best. Can you tell us quickly what their ages and sexes are? (laughs) Hope I remember. Okay. (laughs) Yep. So the twins are now 21. So we started off with twins. Nice. And then the next ones are all teenagers. We have an 18-year-old, uh, a 17-year-old, and three 15-year-olds. <laughs> wow. And then we go down to, oh my goodness, let me see, they keep they keep growing, so they change. So we have a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 9-year-old. I hope I got them all. Wow. So yeah, family picnics, there's a lot of food. That's what I'm getting from that. Yeah, we love large families, so it's always fun. It's great. I wanted to chat with you, especially Mary-Kate. First of all, you're obviously a pro-grandma with 12 grandchildren, but also because you literally wrote the book on grandparent play. You have a new book that's just come out. Can you tell me about the book Legacy of Laughter? What is the goal of this new book? Oh, thank you for asking. I'm so excited about it. So I started about five years ago. One of my friends came to the house and said, Mary Kay, you have to write a book. 
because she saw all the activities and things that we were doing. And I started with the kids early doing journaling. And as a teacher, a <laughs> kindergarten teacher, I always enjoyed doing those kinds of things. So the goal is really to make a significant difference in the lives of kids. I think grandparents can be those superheroes who can play with kids and provide the structure and the guidance and the unconditional love to help kids grow and learn. And the superpowers of playful grandparents. That's one of your quotes. And I love that. And I think it's really true because we don't have some of the responsibility of the parenting that we used to. So we're free to do sort of more of the playtime. And what do we know about the neuroscience of play as it impacts child development? That is so much fun. One of the things that I learned as a kindergarten teacher was that play is critically important to brain development. The Institute of Play actually realizes that play is as natural as sleep for people of all ages. Uh, When we don't play, we have increased stress and depression. And so play really helps our immune system and contributes to our physical and emotional well-being. Kids really need to play. It's vital to their development. One of the interesting facts is that when you look at the animal species, the higher level of intelligence is that of the groups that play longer. And of course, humans play longer, supposedly, than any other species. And that contributes to our level of intelligence. So it really helps kids to play, to develop their cognitive and emotional development. And we can't ignore, too, I know you probably feel the same way. My grandsons are young. They're just a couple of months and and almost two. But it makes us play as well. And I think that's an important (laughs) part of it. So how can shared laughter create a lifetime of memories to support the optimal well-being of both grandparents and their grandchildren? It works for both of us. It does. And so when you're playing with your grandkids, it releases the stress in your own life. And when you're laughing, stress and depression dissipate. You cannot be upset and be laughing at the same time. So play is a trigger for laughter. And laughter is critically important in our lives, especially today with all of the challenges in the world. So it's really such a great experience to get down with your kids and do all kinds of fun things. And I know you do that, too, with your grandkids, Kathy. One of the things that I started with kids is that when they came to the house, we would journal what we did together. Our presence with the kids, being present is more important than any presence you can give them. So that's just one of, actually the title of one of the chapters is Presence, Not Presence. So being with the kids and actually playing with them contributes to your own longevity. The research is pretty interesting on that, as well as to the kids' cognitive and emotional development. So it's good for everybody, and it's just sure a heck of a lot of fun. It really, it does. It makes you a kid again, doesn't it? And it makes you oh my gosh, it makes yeah. you more physically active. It makes you use your imagination. I love play as a trigger for laughter. That's a great line. And throughout the book, you actually outline some of the effective strategies, like the journaling that you just mentioned. Could you share a couple with us now? Sure. That's one of the things that I think is so much fun, is after you have time with your grandkids to talk about what you did, That helps refresh their memory of the fun that they had with you. And I write it down in a notebook that has their name on it. So I have 12 notebooks, one for each grandchild. And when they're really little, I just say, well, what did we do today? And they will tell me what they did. And so I write it down. And I have kept those journals 
over the years, and the kids actually helped me write this book, Legacy of Laughter. So I used a lot of their quotes and a lot of their stories in the book and asked them as they got older to write their own stories about what we did. And so a lot of the information, the artwork and everything comes from them. So they were really the authors of this book as well as as me. So I'm going to have to go to the stationery store is what you're telling me and get two journals to start (laughs) with anyway. And I will. I think I love that idea of repeating it back sort of and hearing what they learned. This book is available now, Mary Kay. Where can we find more about you and about the book? My website is HumorQuest, and so you can find me there. The book is just released this weekend, so it will be at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, and you can find me again through my website, HumorQuest. That's terrific, and I know I can find you on Twitter quite often as well, where we exchange notes, So, and you're at Mary Kay Morrison there. Thank you so much for sharing with us, and I'm dying to hear more about your 12 grandkids, and I'm going to go buy some journals. That's my next strategy. (laughs) Thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, Kathy, it was my delight. Thank you. Marilyn Smith is the only PHEC professional home economist in Canada who's also an alumnus of the Second City Comedy Troupe, making her the self-proclaimed funniest PHEC in the entire world. A popular media personality and keynote speaker, Marilyn is also a regular guest expert on the award-winning national daytime television show CityLine, as well as a regular on Toronto's breakfast television. Marilyn's forte is her ability to mix learning with laughter. She's the author of eight award-winning cookbooks. Her latest cookbook, Peace, Love, and Fiber, over 100 fiber-rich recipes for the whole family, made the bestseller list at the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, Amazon, and Chapters Indigo, and was also shortlisted for a Taste Canada Cookbook Award. Marilyn, thank you for coming on this show. We're going to get into making friends with fiber and why laughter is good for your colon, which I'd love to hear about. But I first wanted to ask you, you mentioned to me that you do have a story of your own grandmother and a lesson that you go back to every single day. Right. So my grandma, we called her Granny. Granny lived about four kilometers away from my mom and dad's house. And uh, as a teenager, when I was, you know, angry at life and full of woe, I would walk to her house and it was mostly uphill. So by the time I got there, I pretty much burned off all my anger. But anyway, by the time I got into her house, she would make me a cup of tea and serve it on her good china, which I still do to this day. And we would have crumpets and uh, lots of butter and jam. And I would just basically tell her all my problems and what my grand did was that she never tried to solve any of them she just listened and that's the life lesson that I I always take away well too always use your good stuff and the second one is that listening is an incredible it's an incredibly powerful gift that we give to people so that I felt heard and I didn't feel judged or you know told what to do and so I could kind of hear what I was saying and make the changes that I needed to change so I thank my granny every day for teaching me the power of listening. I think that's really important. I agree. And as a grandma, I mean, my grandsons are too young to have a conversation with me, but it is important. (laughs) You're right to listen to them and to really sort of help them through things that you can do from sort of an objective point of view, I suppose, instead of being the parent that's there, you know, 24-7. Yeah, I totally agree. I I think my granny was so smart with that, you know, because my mom was always like telling me what to do. And I did the same thing with Andrew, my son. (laughs) So I'm hoping that I don't screw it up as a grandma. So I'm going to try to channel granny. 
And you're going to be called Mimi. That's what you told me. You'd like to be be called called Mimi, which I love. So let's get to your latest cookbook, which I have in front of me. And I love, as you know, I use it all the time. Peace, love and fiber. So why is fiber so important to us, Marilyn? Well, you know, I mean, people just think it keeps things moving, which it does. I always think, you know, of rawhide, you know, keep them doggies, Reuben rawhide. Anyway, so we want to keep that, you know, the stuff moving in your GI. But the research supports that a high-fiber diet uh, is going to help reduce your chances of developing heart disease. It's going to help reduce your chances of developing type 2 diabetes. And this was a big one, and this is why the, this was the main reason I decided to write the book, was that it'll help reduce your chances of developing breast cancer. And the sooner we, we give our daughters, our granddaughters, a fiber-rich diet, the more protection they have. So as grandparents, you know, we can offer snacks and, and treats and all that kind of stuff that are more on the fiber side so that we are actually contributing to our grandchildren's long-term health. And the other one, well, there's two. One is an immune system. Support. And, you know, as we get older, we need to have as much support of our immune system as possible. But the last one is mood. And my mom used to always say, why are you happy? Why are you so happy? Because, you know, on paper, my life kind of sucked. <laughs> and I always thought, well, mom, I just choose to be happy. Well, that, it turns out to be a bunch of BS, pardon the pun. But, you know, in fact, eating a fiber-rich diet affects your mood. And so I'm going to now contribute means the fact that I'm always so happy no matter what is because I eat such a high-fiber diet. <laughs> That's a great tip. And you know what? I mean, being around our grandkids makes us happy anyway, but why not? You know, exactly right. And we need to get more fiber into our diet. And I will confess that before I got your cookbook, I wasn't sure where those foods should come from. So maybe you could share where can we easily find uh, high fiber foods? So basically just think of a, a plant. So any kind of plant has fiber in it. So, you know, and you don't have to be a vegan or a vegetarian to enjoy those plants. I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian, although I eat a tremendous amount of plant-based foods, probably about 80%. And there was a wonderful study that came out of the United States called the American Gut Project. And they basically said if you ate 30 unique plant-based foods in the week, and it didn't have anything to do with the fact if you ate meat or chicken or fish or poultry, it's the 30 unique plant-based foods that contributed to your gut health. And so I'd love all your listeners to keep a, a little diary for a week and write the unique ones. So that doesn't mean you have to have 30 apples in a week, good Lord, no. But one apple would be one count. One banana would be the second one. So add them up. And if you come to 30 and beyond, you're doing a really excellent job. Well, my daughter and her husband and kids, so my two grandsons are vegan, actually. Well, the youngest one is not eating regular food yet, but the almost two-year-old is vegan. So this is helping to explain why I'm changing so many diapers. Would that be right? This is <laughs> He's pretty a regular. answer. You have a ding, 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 ding moment. And um, there's a wonderful uh, book uh, a researcher wrote about gut health. And he looked at the African diet, and they eat so much more fiber than we do. They have up to, you know, I'm talking 10, 15 BMs a day. So, yeah, the more fiber you eat... <laughs> the more we eat, the better it is. There you go. Do you have one quick tip of how you can quickly add it to your diet? Well, do it slowly. That's my biggest yeah, tip. Yeah, so it's so not quick, it's slow. Okay. It's really <laughs> slow. Yeah, so the, the quick tip is slow down. And the reason being is that you're going to go, what the? And like have a breakdown and you don't want that to happen. And if you don't slow down, you know, you're, everything goes wrong. So you could even become constipated. So two tips, slow down and drink more water 
or you'll be making poo sculptures in your GI. And okay. that's the last thing you want to do. And that's the last thing we're going <laughs> to end with that. And we can find Marilyn Smith on Twitter at Marilyn Smith. And it's M-A-I-R-L-Y-N Smith, right. S-M-I-T-H. And we can find you on your website at MarilynSmith.com as well. And please pick up the book. You know, Marilyn, we use that at our cottage all the time, particularly with half of my family being vegan. I know you do. So thank you so much. I'm so happy. And just one more thing. You can also find me on Instagram. And I think that's where I'm the most fun is on Instagram at Marilyn Smith, the way you spelled it too. Well, the way I spell it. <laughs> thank you so much for being on, Marilyn. It's a pleasure speaking with you. Bless you, kind heart, Kathy. Thank you, Mary Kay and Marilyn, for joining our first show and making it so much fun. It's great to have real grandparents as well as guest experts with us. If you go too far back in history, you won't find any grandparents. People just didn't live that long. Women had their children in their teens and 20s and then promptly died before they hit 40. It was the same or even worse for the men. It wasn't until the turn of the 20th century that we started living until the ripe old age of 50. Today in Canada, our life expectancy sits at about 81. Not only does that mean there are a large number of grandparents out there, there are a good number of great-grandparents as well. Traditionally, grandparents are seen as the soft touch when it comes to their grandchildren. Let me tell you, this is one thing that has not changed. When you're the parent, you're the one, fairly or not, who is seen to be ultimately responsible for the human being your child becomes. So you make hard decisions. You try not to spoil them. You make them do their homework, maybe clean their rooms, help with the chores... In short, you are a total fun buzzkill for most of their young lives. You set the rules. They break the rules. You get angry with them. They get angry with you. Then they grow up and they probably move out. And the relationship changes. You miss them. You don't miss the mess they leave in the house or the mountains of food that they eat, but you miss them. It's basic anthropology as far as I'm concerned. We need them to annoy us to the point of exasperation, hello, teenage years, so that when they move out to college, university, and then beyond, we are relatively happy to see them go. Then they might get serious with someone. They might get married. They might not. That isn't important. What's important is the day they say, Mom, guess what? You're going to be a grandma. This is the most important day. This is the day we all wait for. But things have changed. Shockingly, we are not the authority on their kids. They are. And upon reflection, the same was true for my Gen X generation dealing with our boomer or traditional grandparents. But we didn't voice it out loud. We said what happens at grandma's house stays at grandma's house and turned a blind eye to the extra candy, late bedtimes, and the overabundance of toys, and maybe even a slipped $5 bill. Why are the grandkids so much nicer to the grandkids than they were to us when we were kids? Well, for one thing, they don't live with them 24-7. Today, the advice of a grandparent is seen as mostly outdated and old-fashioned at a minimum, dangerous and harmful at its worst. I'm actually okay with this. I'm asked many times about how hard I find it to follow the rigid food and sleeping rules that my daughter has for her sons. And the honest answer is, I don't find it hard at all. I kind of like not being the parent who has to make all of the decisions. Of course, I roll my eyes behind their backs and exchange stories with my friends about the way our out-of-date but proven effective methods of parenting are dismissed. Of course I do. And of course my daughter knows I do this also. She's probably listening right now. But that's okay. We still follow the rules and we certainly don't grumble about them in front of the kids. We joke about them with our own kids, but within reason. There are limits. 
For instance, in our family, we have learned that jokes about veganism are not funny. Not to them, anyway. An attitude adjustment from the time of reigning from the grandparent throne to being one of the minions, let's face it, granddads have often always just been the court jesters, can be tough to do, but it is necessary if you want to maintain peace and have a healthy and happy relationship with your kids and your grandkids. Your kids, after all, hold the keys to the grandkid kingdom. And so this is the first show, and what better way to end it than with a quote from Irma Bombeck. If your baby is beautiful and perfect, never cries or fusses, sleeps on schedule and burps on demand, is an angel all the time, you're the grandma. Thanks for joining us. If you want to listen to this show, it's on zoomerradio.ca or you can find it on our podcast. Please tweet me at Kathy Buckworth, Kathy with a K, or email me at Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. I'm looking forward to next week's show when we talk to Allison Schaefer, a family psychotherapist, about what to do when your rules, the grandma rules, and the parents' rules don't match. We're also going to talk to Julie Cole, who's a mom of six, who's going to lead us through a discussion about how to let grandparents know if your grandkids are in the LGBTQ community. Thanks for joining. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.